Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. I love talking to other people who are doing podcasts in the medical device industry. Sincerely, I do. It's awesome that others are doing this. I know when we first started the Global Medical Device Podcast, there were really not any consistent podcasts that were available, maybe a few episodes here and there, but this is a good one. I I get to talk to Dwayne Mancini. Dwayne is the president and founder of Project MedTech. It's a wonderful podcast. I encourage you all to check it out. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Today joining me is Dwayne Mancini. Dwayne is president and founder of Project MedTech. So Dwayne, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hey, John, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Maybe a good place to start before we dive into a conversation today is just give folks a little bit of a background of who you are and I guess a glimpse in Project MedTech, although I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit more in depth about that somewhere along the way, but just, you know, I guess a 30-second preview of things to come. Yeah, sure thing. So my background is actually as a chemist. Uh, that's where I'm formally trained. I have a master's in medicinal chemistry, but I got into the medical device industry about five or six years ago with a company called NAMSA. Spent some time in their biological safety department and, and did a lot of using chemical characterization to mitigate the amount of biocomp testing needed. And, and then had an opportunity to study under some, some regulatory folks and learn a little about, about reimbursement. And then the year before I left, I worked with a lot of startup companies on thinking about a get-to-market plan and, and how do you execute that in the most cost-effective manner. And now I, I currently do business development for Covance as well as, as I'm the president and founder of Project MedTech. All right, terrific. Like I said, we'll, we'll dive into more on Project yeah. MedTech here in a few moments. But folks, if you want to learn more about Project MedTech, a couple of places you can go. You can go to uh, LinkedIn. There's a, a brief overview of Project MedTech initiative. And then I, I guess the big work product, if you will, from Project MedTech is a podcast. So anywhere that you're listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast, my suspicion is you could probably find Project MedTech there as well. So check that out. So Duane, I thought we could talk a little bit about startups today. And and I know you've got the sort of the the biocompatibility chemistry type of background, but you get a lot of other elements of your career that are sort of interesting and intriguing from, from a startup perspective. Things ranging from reimbursement and regulatory and clinical. So maybe we can just dive in a little bit and talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you see from your perspective that maybe startups need to deal with or address or or think about and consider. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think uh, like a lot of this, and if we just go back and talk about the environment startups faced, you know, 10 years ago, a lot of that was driven around regulatory, right? You know, checking a box to say, okay, here's my regulatory plan. Here's my regulatory path. Once I get regulatory approval, you know, a lot of startups just, it is what it is, but they want to exit, right? And, and that was what they were doing. It was just, you just needed regulatory. And, and I think, you know, as when I started getting into working with startup companies, and like I said, this is probably like the beginning of 2018, we started seeing like a huge influx from startups saying, 
hey, I'm getting a ton of questions about reimbursement. That's what started for me was, okay, there's, there's way more to this than just saying, here's my regulatory path. Let me go check these boxes. And then I'll get to the next investment round or I'll get to manufacturing or you know, what was it? So that's when I really devoted a lot of my time to learning what these startup companies actually had to do to become successful, right? And, and I, you know, I, I'm certainly not an expert on once they get to a certain point. Um, but at that very beginning, I spent a lot of time around startups learning what they needed to do and, and those kind of synergies. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's spot on. I think, you know, go back 10 years ago or so, um, it seemed like the main uh, obstacle or barrier or, or issue to solidify was regulatory strategy. Uh, that didn't seem to be the focus. Of, in fact, I remember, and I, I honestly don't know if this is still the case, but you know, back 10 years ago, for sure it was, a key milestone, a funding-related milestone was a 510K submission or you know, something along those lines, some sort of regulatory submission. That was like a moment in time where uh, that was meaningful in, in that startup's journey so that they could you know, de-risk some, some of the things that they were doing, but also be fundable or, or seek additional uh, investment sort of things. And I think, to your point, I mean, fast-forwarding to present day, there, there are, regulatory is still important, but I think there's a few other areas that are getting on par with regulatory. I mean, like reimbursement, I think, is a real big deal. And you know, I've chatted with some folks recently on, on the Global Medical Device Podcast. We went a little bit in-depth about that. But why do you think reimbursement is so important for a startup to, to start to consider? Yeah, yeah. And so, and, you know, and, and one thing to add to that too, and, and we'll get to it, and it's not just because I know what Greenlight does, but quality. And that's something I've seen in the last year. Or so we'll table that. But, but with reimbursement, you know, in investors, it wasn't good enough anymore to say you have regulatory approval, right? I mean, there's more products coming on the market and now it's, okay, this is great. Love the product. How are you going to get paid for it? You know, is this coming out of pocket? Is this coming from insurance? What does that landscape look like? And, you know, investors aren't stupid. <laughs> so they're savvy to this. And, yeah. and you know, they, they want to know what's the business plan for this? How are they going to get their return on their investment? I mean, you know, people go into the medical device industry to, to, to save lives, right? But there has to be a business aspect of it. That's just, it, it, it is what it is. And investors want to know that. So, and, and, and really, your reim- not knowing your reimbursement plan is really risky because it can change your regulatory plan, right? I mean, regulatory and reimbursement, aren't, it's not glaringly obvious that how they go together, but what you might need to do to ensure a better reimbursement might alter your regulatory plan. And if you don't know that from the beginning and don't know your options, it's how you get five years down the road, a bunch of biocompatibility tests down the road, clinical trials down the road, and have to go back and restart. Yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, I, I'll just chime in a little bit. I mean, and folks, I, again, I want, want to, you know, if you want to go uh, or get more in depth on the topic of reimbursement, we, we did, I did cover this particular topic in some detail with uh, Mike Drews back a few weeks ago on the Global mm. Medical Device Podcast. So, so go check that out. But, but it is important because I, I think the theme or the, the trend that I've seen all too often is that reimbursement is oftentimes an afterthought. Uh, sometimes even after a company gets you know their clearance regulatory clearance and then they're like all right now let's start thinking about reimbursement as and to your point it's like whoa that's way too late i mean uh, the regulatory strategy the reimbursement strategy you know these things they're uh, they're connected and they need to to be in sync with one another yeah spot on and and you know just to take it to that next step 
of you have to have, you know, these all feed into your clinical strategy. And, and like I said, I mean, you know, clinical studies are expensive. It doesn't matter whether you're doing them for regulatory approval or for reimbursement or for market access. So if you don't have all those pieces identified and you have to go back and do more clinical studies and it delays your product to market or it delays your, your access to a regional market, you know, these things just keep pushing your timeline out, you know, further out. And it probably leads to another point of startups need to get to market as efficiently and the least amount of time as possible um, to reduce the amount of you know capital they have to spend. Well, and yeah, I think efficiently, effectively, and and as I would say, as ideally as frugally as possible. You know, I think that's another thing, and, and I think the frugal component of that is. You know, we are in a, a space. The med tech industry, in general, is you know, from an investor point of view, is is probably viewed as one of the more risky uh, industries to to invest into. And so, you know, sometimes that capital can be really, really difficult to gain. And so, you need you know a sound reimbursement, a sound regulatory, sound clinical strategies because the outcome of of those those different strategies is going to be you know, an, an indicator of your future market success and, and help position you from an attractiveness standpoint from an investor. But, you know, until those are at a certain point in time in your journey, you may have to squeeze every penny out of, out of that capital that you're getting because it is a long journey and it, and it can be a very expensive one as well. So you, you got to kind of be mindful of all these sorts of things. Yeah, that's spot on. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Now you've done a lot of work, obviously, on biocompatibility side and clinical side of things. What are some of, uh, you know, aside from, you know, poor strategies and, and planning, what are some of the, the pitfalls that you've seen in, in your experience that impact startups in a big way? Yeah. So I think, you know, one is like on, on the regulatory side, if I could start there, I kind of hinted at it earlier, but it's not always your easiest path to market from a regulatory standpoint isn't always your best path to market in general for your business, right? I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into this and I know I'm simplifying it, but I have a lot of conversations where clients are intentionally avoiding the de novo pathway or, you know, trying to get out of a a PMA and, and, you know, in some instances I totally get it, but in others, it, it actually doesn't, make that much sense leading back into reimbursement but you know just just some other figures that that are published because this is a common misconception especially about PMA devices the the exit for companies on PMAs are shorter than a 510k and i think that's that's a really common misconception but but like i said like that that that, that is a, a point where i see people fail right off the get go is assuming that i just need to get this to market but they're not thinking about probably the hardest step if you're a medical device company, especially if you're like if you're a 510k, achieving market access, achieving any kind of regional access, because that is the point where you still need money to, you know, even after even after you get regulatory approval, you still need money after that to get to your next step. And I can tell you that investors, like we said, aren't just saying, did you get regulatory approval? Okay, your reimbursement's laid out. It's Okay, you got regulatory approval. Go see, go sell in a regional market. You know, it's yeah. that and then, and and that's a really tough, tough, tough thing to do. And 
So like I said, it's not always your easiest regulatory path. That, that's a very common, I don't know about you, but that's how I see a lot of people fail there. Well, I do. I mean, I remember like back early in my career and I was working for a relatively large company at that point in time. And, you know, we would uh, try to determine, you know, that regulatory strategy pretty early on before too much development was underway and, and certainly before we incurred too many costs. And and I remember on numerous occasions where we did that initial assessment or, or that that pathway and, and the response that we came up with was, oh, this is going to be PMA. And that was like like almost a reason to kill the project. I mean, I, again, this company was sizable and we had, let's just say, thousands of, of products on the market already. And I think out of their thousands of products, I think they only had two PMA devices at that point in time. Um, so it was oftentimes viewed as as a too challenging of a, of a, a path to, to get market approval. And you know, I think things have, from the FDA perspective, have um, improved a great deal in that perspective. But then you mentioned de novo. I mean, de novo used to be another one of those kiss of death things, not even that long ago, you know, definitely less than 10 years ago, you know, you, you pursued de novo and it might sit in a queue and, and go around in circles with, with FDA uh, for a long time. I know of, of one particular uh, startup that pursued de novo and I think their de novo application uh, was with the agency for like a year and a half or something before a decision was made. But the good news is, I, I think the, the de novo process today is fantastic uh, because you know it's it's much more streamlined review process, much more interactive with FDA in general. And the advantages that like de novo uh, and PMA can provide you from a marketability perspective are huge when compared to like a five ten k. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I say this on my podcast a lot. And I, I'm not dissing 510Ks by any means, right? But if you are a de novo or a PMA, you're a market disruptor. There's By a regulatory standpoint, there's nothing like you on the market. When you do a 510K, and I know we're getting into the technicalities of it, but if you just simplify it, you're trying to prove substantially equivalent equivalency to something else, right? So it, that's a weird, it's to me in my head, and I know it's much more complicated than that, but it's a weird dance to do, right? Like, hey, I'm the same as these, you know, this, this, this group, but uh, yeah. you know, once you get approval, this is why my product's that much better. Well, how much better could it possibly be? And I know that's probably not, you know, <laughs> 100% accurate for everything, but still in, in generalities, de novo and PMA, that's it. You're a market disruptor. There's nothing yeah. like it. Well, I mean, and folks, you know, you do have to balance all of this because, you know, the, the part that re- regulatory and reimbursement and clinical and market acceptance, I mean, these are all, you know, certainly variables uh, that, that you need to, you know, spend some time strategizing and brainstorming and, and identifying what makes the most sense. I mean, what may make the most sense from a regulatory perspective may not make the most sense from a reimbursement. So, you know, these things all have to have the right balance. Yeah, John, that's, that's exactly it. And that's something we always try to stress to people is like, you know, it's it's what might yeah exactly what right what might be right for someone else isn't right for this person but you still need to do your due diligence in all those areas at least think about it if you if you think about it and all of a sudden it's hey regular you know reimbursement doesn't necessarily necessarily matter as much then then great but make sure you you at least do a dive into that to to think about it <clears throat> all right so hopefully some food for thought for folks I'm, i want to take a 
uh, transition here to our next topic of conversation with Dwayne Mancini of Project MedTech. And before we do so, I thought I would remind you all that Greenlight Guru, we're the only medical device quality management system software platform on the planet today. We're designed specifically and exclusively for medical device companies. And it's actually a platform that's been designed by actual medical device professionals, people who have been there, done that, you know, been in the trenches, you know, t- dealing with the same challenges and and projects and obstacles that you are as a medical device professional. So I would encourage you to go check out more about the Greenlight Guru Medical Device Quality Management System software at www.greenlight.guru. Something really exciting that we've introduced into the platform is AI and machine learning. And I know it sounds cute, you know, everything these days seems to have AI, but this is something that's going to make your quality management system that much more effective with the visualize element of the Greenlight Guru platform. You can see a picture of your quality management system, understand how all of your documents and records are connected together. And with Halo for Change Management, this is a a workflow that you engage during your change management uh, process that will help you make sure that your changes are holistic, thorough, complete, uh, risk adverse, and address all the the major issues that you're trying to do from a change management perspective. The recommendation engine of Halo will feed you information about other documents and records that may need to be incorporated in those important changes that you need to make to your business. So again, go check it out, www.greenlight.guru. So Dwayne, I thought we could talk a little bit more about Project MedTech and what you're doing and what it is and all that sort of thing. So give us, I guess, a a little bit more depth and detail about Project MedTech. Yeah, definitely. And and John, can I add one more thing too? Oh, for sure. You brought it up with the Greenlight Guru. Sure. That was the other thing I saw about it. And not saying it hadn't happened before this, but about a year ago was, especially for like, if if your plan is to be acquired by one of the large strategics, you better have a very, very good quality system and one that is robust and easily implemented into these strategics because I had a few conversations with some of the strategics and in, in the acquisition and, and in the acquisition department and a lot of their comments was revolved around being burnt when they acquired some of these companies that didn't have a robust quality management system. So just more food for thought, I know, but something I wanted to add in there and and your 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 uh, discussion about PAI and and what uh, Greenlight Guru does, you know, maybe think of that. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Yep. All right, so I've had a chance to to dive into uh, a little bit about what you're doing with Project yep. MedTech. I've, I've listened to quite a few episodes. Uh, you, you got some great guests, but uh, t- tell us more about your vision around Project MedTech. Sure. So yeah, it, you know, it started in uh, April. Um, I was I was moving in between jobs from from Namsa to Covance. I really wanted to launch a, a podcast, and and really the idea behind it was. When I came into the medical device industry, you know, I was a chemist who knew about the, to- you know, the toxicology of, of various compounds and how I was applying those to chemical characterization. I mean, I was so hyper-focused on ISO 10993. And in my world, that's, that's all medical device fe- development was. <laughs> and and, and yeah. then I had this ability to... You know, the NAMPSA gave me an opportunity to learn about you know, regulatory and be involved in, in reimbursement and, and clinical and working with these companies. And I thought to myself, you know, okay, how did I learn best? And, and it was reading, but it, it wasn't necessarily webinars. It, you know, it was 
listening to conversations and just being a fly on the wall and listening to experts talk. And that's where the podcast idea came from was, you know, there, there has to be a better way for people who need to learn about other subjects. And, and, and that was this. And then to be honest with you, I was a su- subscriber to your podcast. And I think I subscribed in, I don't know, 2016, if, if that sounds right, if you are. Yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I found a lot of the interviews with Mike Drews uh, very helpful when I was learning about regulatory, you know, so I said, okay, what if I did one on, on, you know, that's kind of focused on startups and what a, you know, if you're part of a startup company, you know, you need to be a generalist in a lot of different areas. So how do we have those conversations about networking, about raising money, about building your board, but not from just the point, you know, I feel like a lot of startups talk about raising money and and they'll take anything. And it's like, well, how do you raise smart money? You know, how do you build your board? Yeah. Um, How do you acquire talent? Um, How do you think about reimbursement, regulatory? How's that all fit in? How do you achieve market access? What are some pitfalls from serial entrepreneurs? People have done it before. So really it's it's and 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 it's it's not highlighting maybe specific subjects. There's always a, a subject that's an undertone of it, but it's talking to the actual person. You know, what I also learned too was even though you know John Spears is an expert in quality, he might have some really good advice in areas you, you you didn't know. And when you talk to the person and get to know the person, they give a lot of those free tidbits. So so that's really the goal behind it. It's covering the med tech industry, everything from serial entrepreneurs through investors, and and even giving startup companies a chance to uh, let the world know. And when I say the world, the project med tech universe, what they're working on, and and maybe they can get connected with someone who can benefit them. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some really good guests. I mean, I um, gravitated towards some familiar names that I saw on the, the guest list. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, the episode that you did with Joe Hage. Uh, Joe Hage, mm-hmm. most of us in, in this industry probably know the name with um, Medical Marcom, but he, um, I've known him for, for quite some time. But, you know, when it comes to like just thinking about marketing uh, a little bit differently, and strategy behind that. I mean, Joe has so much insights and wisdom that that he's able to offer this industry. So I, I found that episode to be really good. But uh, you have, you know, recruiters. You have experts on funding. You have. See, I'm just kind of sc- scrolling through this quickly. Granted, this is not good for uh, podcast listeners as I'm doing this. But you know, uh, regulatory experts, quality experts. So you have quite the gamut of guests and. Yeah, uh, I guess I'm curious. I mean, I know you're you're uh, uh, as we're chatting here, you're uh, right around 30 episodes in, give or take. But um, mm-hmm. um, are there some common themes or or messages that you're hearing from the variety of guests that you're having? Yeah, you know, um, it depends who the guest is for sure. Um, you know, I've also had some guests on who actually have nothing to do with the medical device industry, but I thought were, I just, you know, the, the one that got released, um, I guess today as we're recording it, um, was Frank again, and he's all about networking, um, the science of it. And, and, you know, I think that one was really cool and interesting for me, um, because it's, it's, it's a place where people fail, uh, because they don't network well. And he was kind of talking about that. But in, in medical device related guests, um, you know, it's a lot of the same thing. And I think the most popular one I've received is if you're a company, no matter how big or small you are in the med device space, 
they're going to investors specifically are going to bet on the team over the product, right? Uh, we say it a lot. People will take an A team with a B product any day of the week. So the one thing I've learned is it's, it's, it's really about the people on the team you're building for the success. And that's come from everybody, serial yeah. entrepreneurs, investors, even consultants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's interesting to think about. I mean, it's, it's an, an adage as, as old as certainly my career, and I'm sure predates my existence on this earth, but um, the team, you know, and, and you mentioned something a moment ago uh, about um, forming an advisory board and how important that is and, you know, having smart money or smart investors and, and what that can mean. Maybe elaborate a little bit on that and on how that like that advisory board and even your investors can become an extension of your team and why that's important. Yeah, you know, I think from a network standpoint, for sure. Um, but, you know, the other thing that, then the first guest to talk about this was Anthony Caparso. He runs a, a, a he's a chief technology officer at a startup company called Inhale Medical. And, and he kind of talked about that, um, you know, when he was picking his boards for his startup, his first startup company, you know, it was about, okay, outside of the investment, what am I getting from this person? Is it access to a network? Is it advice in a specific area? How is that person going to interact with the rest of your board, right? I mean, thinking about board dynamics is important as well. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing that I've learned just being kind of a generalist in a lot of this is when you talk to people, make sure you understand the lens that they're looking at product development under, right? If, it's, if you're talking to a person who has spent 30 years in regulatory, odds are they're looking at this, this product in regulatory lenses. And same thing with reimbursement, same thing with business development. So I think the other piece of advice that me and him kind of talked about was just try to understand their background and, and how they might be seeing it and, and take that all with a grain of salt as well. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean... The other thing that I would uh, offer as advice to uh, startups, regardless if it's to form a board or network or you know hire folks or uh, identify consulting, is really to do a, a, a Venn diagram of, of some sort. It doesn't necessarily have to be a Venn diagram, but understand what your team's core competencies and areas of expertise are, but also understand what the the total holistic needs are for the type of product that you're bringing to market. Identify, essentially, identify your gaps. You know, where, where are you weak? Where are you strong? And those areas where you could maybe are a little weaker than you'd like, those are great opportunities to, to, to identify a consultant or a new hire or network or a board member. Um, because every person that you're trying to bring into the fold for your company, you're trying to strengthen your case and, and increase your value and so if you can shore up those areas of weakness through those key uh, uh, additions to your team in some form or fashion, I think that's just going to make a stronger case and a stronger story and strengthen your team. Yeah, I totally agree. That's a really, really good point. All right. So, Dwayne, um, we've talked a little bit about startups. We've talked a little bit about Project MedTech as we wrap things up today. Any final words of wisdom or, or uh, key points or tips and pointers that you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the last thing in terms of tips and pointers, it's, it's, it's really just, you know, make sure you're thinking about this early and often. I can't harp on that enough. Um, and, and reach out to people, um, you know, 
listen to podcasts, listen, you know, read uh, literature. I mean, just just do as much as you can at the very beginning to make sure you have a really clear picture of where you're going. You know, you can't, you got to have a good plan before you can run with stuff. So I just really encourage people to do that. And I, I think the one thing I have to say about the industry is, you know, like I said, reach out to people. Everyone has been so friendly in the industry. It's, yeah. it's it's really shocking. So I think that, and from a project med tech standpoint, you know, right now we're we're a podcast and we're looking to expand and some other things. So stay tuned, and you know, <laughs> we're, we we have a website uh, that that will be up and running. I mean, this is really really new for us, and 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 me and my partner do this, you know, on the side. So um, it's not you know, we both have full time jobs and just trying to balance the podcast with that. But uh, we want to bring really good content to people and hopefully, you know, people could be successful and make good connections. Well, so far, so so good. I mean, you are delivering some excellent content. And, and I think you raise a really excellent point. Folks, this, this community, this medical device industry, it is so giving. I know, uh, I, I can't think of somebody that, that wouldn't take a call to help you advance, mm-hmm. you know, something that you're doing. So many people are just willing to, to help, you know, and you know, I, I've seen people that work at, you know, the, the fiercest of competitors who at the same time, you know, they're willing to, to sit down and collaborate and brainstorm and, and, and because we all believe in the mission, you know, the overall mission of this industry is to improve the quality of life. And, and what you're doing is, is something special and, and, you know, could be something that's going to save my life one day. So if there's some knowledge or that I possess or some connection that I can help make to help you do that, well, I'm more than willing to do that. I know Dwayne is. And frankly, I, I know of hundreds, probably thousands of other people in this industry who are willing to do so. So, you know, reach out to folks. Don't be afraid to ask. Dwayne, thank you so much for uh, being a, a guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast. Again, folks, Dwayne Mancini, Project MedTech. Uh, you can learn more about Project MedTech uh, in the meantime by visiting their their page on LinkedIn connect with Dwayne also on LinkedIn and wherever you're listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast, just do a quick search for Project MedTech. You're going to find some really exciting episodes on a variety of topics that are really important to your ventures. So thank you so much for being loyal listeners of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Sorry, Dwayne, we're still the number one podcast in the medical device industry. I hope you pass us here soon. Um, but uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's because of you that, that we are number one. Keep sharing this with your friends and colleagues. And uh, as always, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear.